0: Do you actually believe that, church? Do you believe that there's power in the name of Jesus? That happens to be the title of the message tonight, which we'll get there in a moment. And You know, I'm always amazed. There's posters out there. There's art out there. There's all kinds of things that when you begin to think of who Jesus is, when you begin to acknowledge the truth of what Scripture says about him and what he has really said about himself through it, that he's the the door of the sheep, he's the great I Am, he's the good shepherd, that, that he is the bread of life, he is the light, he's the truth, he is the way, he is that name that is above every name. And tonight as we pick up in verse 1 of chapter 3 and we'll get, as as we continue through this passage tonight, we're going to make it to the second of Peter's sermons. Now I want to draw attention to something that I shared with you last Sunday night and, and, and for us to grasp this, it's almost mind-boggling. Peter has delivered a first sermon and that first sermon some 3,000 souls. And normally in scripture when uh, there is a number given and and it involves people doing something because of the culture of the time that was only the men. And that's not to be chauvinistic. That was simply the way things worked then in that day and time. So you can add in all the wives and those who were in attendance there. So We saw a megachurch from one message. A megachurch from one single message, a simple message about the name of Jesus. And now as we get to the second of Peter's sermons, remember that the gospel was to the Jew first. And the original church was almost entirely Jewish. Jewish. We're not going to see until we get to chapters 8, 9, 10 when finally the Gentiles really are reached through the Apostle Peter there at Cornelius' house. But the gospel is going forth to the most unlikely group because their hearts really were hardened. Uh, They didn't want to believe that Messiah had come. And yet in spite of the hardness, and in spite of religion, and in spite of church, if you want to look at it that way, the gospel accomplishes, the word accomplishes the purpose for which it is sent, and thousands of people's lives are transformed from the hearing of a simple message. As I shared this morning, it's one of my, it's one of my great concerns as a pastor, that we don't lose the simplicity of simply teaching the Word of God. Saying what it says with authority and allowing it to have its own power because inherent within the Word of God is the power of God. The power of God uh, emboldened by the work of the Spirit and as the Spirit's at work now in the early church here in the book of Acts, we see this incredible picture of the power of of the name of Jesus. And so would you pray? We'll pick up in verse 1 here in Acts 3, and we'll get into actually part of chapter 4, and remind yourself that when the book of Acts, Luke chapter 2, or Luke book 2, if you want to look at it that way, when this was written, all of the chapter and verse designations did not exist, and so the story as it continues over into chapter 4 uh, is really part of the unified Word that the Lord has spoken to us. So let's pray. Father, we are again just so grateful, God, that we could come and and hang out with each other. Lord, to be your family, to be your kids. God, to come and sit and listen and hear and be instructed by the Spirit. The same Spirit that spoke in the early church is the Spirit that speaks now in our day and time. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come. As we have praised you, please inhabit those praises. And God, would you be well pleased with our sacrifice of praise? Would the intent of our heart align with your will? And God, would you speak to us now through the power of the name of Jesus? Amen. Verse 1 here in Acts 3, And now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And so, as you begin to to look at this, the ninth hour, the the Jewish day started at six, so the ninth hour is three in the afternoon. So, they're going afternoon prayers, they're going to the temple. This is an extremely Jewish context. And so, they're still functioning, in essence, in their Jewishness. And it's important for you to understand that because sometimes we almost want to, to divest Scripture of its incredible Jewish roots, and our roots in our Savior and the Messiah of Israel. And so this is a very Jewish gathering. And so they're going up, afternoon prayer, three o'clock, the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful." Now at that time, from the temple, there were nine gates. The beautiful gate made out of Corinthian bronze, as it shone likely the eastern gate, uh, would have almost glistened as if it were made of gold. And so it would make sense that if you were of that persuasion, the Jewish people, the scribes, the Pharisees, in fact, the wealthy people would have likely come and gone through that gate because it was the most ornate. And so people would have wanted to have been seen. And so where would you go if you're a beggar and you really want to get some money out of somebody? You would have gone to the most beautiful of the gates where the most beautiful people would also come. And so this man is carried daily to the most spectacular of all of the nine gates that led into the court of Gentiles, the court of the women. And so here, this man who's been lame from birth is at this very beautiful gate who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, ask for alms. Now, therein lies his mistake. These are itinerant preachers. They haven't got two nickels to rub together. Two shekels. They could not afford a ten-shekel shirt. And so they're asking Peter and John... For alms. But he doesn't really know. See, life's circumstance has placed him in the right place at the right time because it is truly God that governs the affairs of men. And so the Lord knew exactly where Peter and John would be and knew exactly where this man would be. And it's important for us as God's children to recognize the Lord misses nothing in our lives. Sometimes you may be tempted to think that your life is a series of mistakes. Or it's a series of random circumstances that God somehow works his magic on. But from God's perspective, he has numbered your days. He knows every last one of them. He's created good works for you to walk in. And he knows, even in those days when you think, that you're a beggar asking for alms, he knows what he's going to do. And he knows exactly what you need. And it is his desire to give what we have need of. And so we pick up the story, and fixing his eyes on him with Peter and John, he said, look at us. And so he gave them his attention and expected to receive something from him. You can almost see him. If you'll open your mind's eye, you can picture this scene. And here's this man whose only hope is, is the reliance on other people to be kind and generous. And sitting there at the gate, he sees these two guys coming in. And there was something about them. And then Peter tells this man the truth. You see, because people come to church, people come to the Lord, and they expect something out of God. And very often what they expect out of God is not what they get from God. Very often they're looking for something that's physical. Maybe they're looking for a prayer request to be answered. Maybe some need that they have brought with them carried all of their life. But the Lord knows exactly what to give us. And the Lord knew that this man's deepest need was not money. It was salvation. It it was not even that he would be healed, which is going to happen, but that his heart would be healed. The greater work, the greater miracle, is not that this man gets up and walks, but that this man gets up and he's saved. And Peter said to him, Silver and gold, I do not have, but what I do have, I give you. And I want you to take stock of that, because a lot of us maybe think of ourselves as, as paupers in, in that sense. We don't have anything really to give. Maybe you know you're not gifted at you know things as other people might be gifted. But there's one thing that every single one of you in this room has that is the most valuable thing that you can ever give anyone else. And that is the truth of who Jesus is. We can all share that. This is what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. No fanfare, no anointing of oil, no hoopla, no massive group of people to aid him. He simply says, the power that I have is in the name of Jesus. The power that I offer you is the same Jesus of Nazareth. which you crucified. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and his ankle bones received strength. And so he, that would be the lame man, leaping up, he didn't just kind of rise to his feet, he didn't move with instability, he moved with purpose, stood and walked and entered the temple with them. You can imagine this, man. You see, because he was crippled, he was also unclean. He wasn't able to enter in. He had to have been helped. And so this is likely the first time this man has ever been inside. He stayed outside his whole life. And so many people sit outside of the gate of God's plan and purpose and goodness because they've been afflicted in some way. And it takes somebody like you coming into their life and saying in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk because this isn't what God has for you. God has a plan for your life. That's you, that's me, that's us. You have that message. And you have at your disposal that power. And he was walking and leaping and praising God. You see, the result of meeting God is praising God. Very often people don't meet God and therefore they don't praise God. Oh, they come to understand maybe who God is. They have an intellectual understanding, but they haven't met God. Because we haven't shown them God. We've shown them religion. We've shown them church. We've shown them maybe even our own understanding, but have we really shown them the same God that this man met? Have we said, rise up and walk? And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And then they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what happened to him. You see... This picture is one that's really beautiful, just as the gate was beautiful, because this man was hopeless. There was nothing that mankind could do for him. There wasn't a thing that was going to happen in this man's life that was good, unless he met the name of Jesus. Now, I, I don't know, you know how famous any of you are, and here may be some famous people in the room, and I haven't met you yet, so forgive me if that's you, if you're... Really famous, you can come up and see me afterwards and tell me how famous you are. But for the most part, there probably aren't a lot of us who the world would claim are famous. And and with your name, if you are famous, your name can do things for you. You can open certain doors. Uh, We're about to elect a president. The name of the president, the seal of the president, the president himself. If I tell you that I am an emissary of the President of the United States, there is power in the name of the President of the United States. The same would be true for the Prime Minister of England, the the King and or Queen, currently only a Queen of England. There is power in those names where that name bears something, it bears the power, in the case of England, of the crown, and here it bears the power, the full weight of the government of the United States. And so there's power in the name, currently, of Barack Obama. There's power in that name. But I could go and sit behind the president's desk... And I would not have that same power. Because there's no power in my name. There's power in his name. And so the picture here is the name. And that name is the only name. It's Emmanuel. It's I Am. It's the one and only Son of God. It's the one who was and is and is to come. It's the lion of the tribe of Judah. It's the lamb that takes away the sin of the world. There's power in that one name that exists in no other name. And so that name is shared with this man. And as Paul wrote and we studied when we were in Philippians 2, that is the name that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Uh, and then the great Apostle Paul writing to the church at Philippi says it doesn't matter whether you happen to be in heaven. Or whether you're in Hades. You're, you're in that place that abode of the dead. Everyone one day. Angels and demons alike. Will bow the knee to Jesus. One day. Because his name is superior to every name. And so it is that name that this man hears. And in hearing just the name of Jesus, he's healed. And as I look at this passage, the most important thing that I draw from this particular passage is, there's not one ounce of religion in this. There's not one ounce of church in this. There's not one ounce of doing anything a certain way. There's no tradition in view. There's nothing in view. The only thing that's in view is the name of Jesus. And we need to leave the name of Jesus having that kind of power. Because his name transforms lives. It is knowing Jesus that is our goal in life. And it is making him known that is our task to go and make disciples. It, it's not bolstering the name of a particular group of people who gather together as God's kids like we are called Calvary Chapel. We're not on this earth to make Calvary Chapel great. We're on this earth to make the name of Jesus great. I love being Calvary Chapel. wouldn't have it any other way. But we're not here to promote our church. We're here to promote that Jesus Christ alone is the only name worthy of fortune. And so there's three wonderful truths that we find in this passage. The first one to me is the amazement of Jesus the healer. Because his name does imply that power. His name does carry that authority. His name does have that reputation. His name alone has that power. And when you use his name, you're using the only name that can save. why sometimes people will say, well, you know, do you have to say any specific words? Yes, actually you do have to say some specific words in order to, to have a right relationship with God. You have to confess Jesus Christ is Lord. And you have to repent of your sin. But beyond that, joining a club, joining a group of people... Those are the unnecessary, but you have to be saved in Jesus' name. When we're healed, we're healed in Jesus' name. When we accomplish goals, anything in this world that's worth doing, we do so in Jesus' name. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen? I I want to address my prayers properly. You know, we're, we're in a world now where everything's done electronically. But some of us have been around long enough to remember that you used to actually have to address an envelope, you know, and really actually put the right return address, the right address, the right zip code, all those things on there. Otherwise, it wouldn't get it in the right mailbox. You want to address your, par- your prayers taking care of Jesus because it's his name. He is the advocate before the Father. He is the one who intercedes for you. He's the one, hey, I just got this from Jeff. He sent me this today. Father, can you, this is according to your will. Hear this, Lord. Hear this, Father God. You see, the believers during this day and time were still very much attached to the traditions of the temple. And it would be very gradually that they would move away from that. But they were now made up of one body that was both Jews and Gentiles. And it would be... Uh, Many years before there'd actually be uh, a separation, if you will, a little bit, and an understanding of of how they would break away from being inherently uh, Jewish. But in this day and time, they were sitting there right at the temple. It's interesting to me that Peter and John, as they ministered so often together, of course, we know that they were partners in the fishing business. It was they that prepared the last Passover of Jesus there in Luke 22. It was they that ran to the tomb. Uh, It was they that were there on Easter morning. John's Gospel records that in chapter 20. It was they who ministered to the Samaritans. They, They had often worked faithfully together. And so it's not surprising to us that they're now preaching the name of Jesus together. Because he'd finally gotten it. Peter had gotten past himself. And he'd finally gotten to that place to where the Lord restored him. And he's now, he's now working uh, the, the things that God wants him to do. And not so much concerned about his own self, but about the name, the power in the name of Jesus. When you look at this passage, I want you to take note of a few things. These, these first ten verses are an almost perfect picture of our salvation experience. Think about what's going on here. You, you see, just like this man, we are all born in sin. This man could not help himself and you can't help yourself, you can't save yourself. in that sin, in that sense, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. there's none righteous, not one. amen. So in that sense, this man represents to us every last one of us in need of a savior. And so sometimes we're all sitting in that place at the beautiful gate. We're waiting for something to happen. We, we believe that there is some way that we can be saved. But I want you to notice another thing. It's just like us without the Lord. We're all destitute. We're all poor. We have no way of taking care of our own need. Not only are we born that way, but we can't do it ourselves. It's impossible. As a sinner who needs a Savior, I am bankrupt before a holy God. And no amount of me bringing me is ever going to make me okay. I need someone to take note of my brokenness and my bankruptcy, and I need someone to step into my life and deal with me. So, in that sense, this is a perfect picture. All of us are without God outside the temple. The temple was a figurative way for us to understand the place that God dwelled. When you're born, you're absolutely born broken, crippled. You're born, actually scripture says dead. You're worse than crippled. You're dead in your trespasses and sins. You're bankrupt. You can't pay your own way. You absolutely need someone to step out of eternity and into time in your life to bring you to that place. And so this is a perfect picture of us being outside of the will of God. I don't have the glory of God without God stepping into my life. And what you see, a fourth thing. This man, not in and of himself, but wholly by God's grace is healed. This man does nothing to warrant this attention. We don't see anything here with Peter and John going, wow, well, that guy should really be healed. No, there's mercy and grace that comes upon this man. Again, a perfect picture of how God works in our life, bringing us to faith in Jesus Christ, because there's power in that name. And then immediately notice what this man does, which we should also do when we come into contact with the name that is above every name. This man gives praise and glory and honor to the name. He tells somebody about what happened to him by what he does. There's fruit in his life. And so this whole picture is a picture of how God works in each one of us. And it's an amazing picture. God hunts us down. (laughs) We think we're in the right place, doing the right thing, but it's not working out the way we thought. And so the Lord comes to us. The Lord sees our bankrupt state. The Lord sees our brokenness. The Lord sees us and has mercy on us and applies His grace. And thereby we're saved. Now notice the indictment that comes against all those who are listening. Because any good evangelist, here's what happens. You seize the moment. Something has happened and you deliver the goods. In verse 11, notice what it says here in Acts 3. And now as the lame man who is healed held on to Peter and John. You talk about a good opportunity. Here's this man that everybody knew. He had been at that gate since birth. He's now been completely healed. He's hanging on to Peter and John. And all the people ran together uh, to them at the porch, which is called Solomon's. And so now they've entered into the temple compound. And they're over in the court of women, the court of Gentiles. And they're, they're beginning to kind of wander around. the people are going, dude, what are you doing in here? What happened to you? Well, I was healed. What do you mean you were healed? Well, I was sitting there and I was asking for alms, and, and this guy, is Peter, this guy, and John, his friend over here, I was asking for money. They said, well, we don't have any money, but what we do have, we'll give you. And this is what they gave me. I'm healed. They're all like, well, whatever that is, we want some of that. You can almost see him wandering around. Well, can you heal me? Kind of turns into a little, you know, traveling healing show going around the court. And so here's what Peter does. And I love this. And so they were greatly amazed. And so when Peter saw it, he responded to the people. He's going, oh boy. I got him now. This is going to be rich. Men of Israel. Why do you marvel at this? Or why look so intently at us as though by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? In other words, there's nothing in us that caused this. But I want to tell you what actually happened. Precious brothers and sisters... Please, in Jesus' name, give God credit for what God does. Do not take the glory of the Lord. And if there's any good thing that's happened in your life, it's because He's good, not because you're good. If there's any good thing that happens in this church, yeah, He uses people, but it's Him. And if He doesn't do it, it isn't happening. And if it's all people, then we're in trouble. And so Peter does exactly what we should do. He gave credit where credit is due. And he said, we didn't do it. Now I want you to notice, he's already talking about who Jesus is. This is Jesus of Nazareth. Now Jesus was pretty famous by now. Fairly well known. So much so... That Herod knew who he was, Herod Antipas, that the governors had taken stock of him. And so he's kind of a big deal in that sense. But notice what Peter says the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers, the same God who was with us in Egypt. The same God who was with us when we crossed the Red Sea. The same God who was with us, who dwelled with us. Who was that pillar of fire, who was that cloud. The same God that took that bitter water at the springs of Mara, The same God that fed us every day with manna. The same God who brought us quail. The same God who brought us to Kadesh Barnea. The same God who promised us that one day we would dwell in Canaan, the same God that gave us the promise of Goshen, that same God is who we're talking about today. He hasn't changed one lick. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and you can trust Him on that. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified His servant Jesus. whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate. You remember the story. It was a high holy day. The Passover lamb could have been spared. But what did the people cry out? We don't want this man to rule over us. Give us Barabbas. At least maybe he'll kill a few Romans. We don't want this guy We want a powerful ruler. Someone who's going to do something militarily. It's always been an interesting study to me to think back on the response of the Jewish people at that time. Because they had done the same thing and and selected Saul. Amen? (laughs) We want a king, a real king. We want a big king, a tall king, a strong king. We want somebody who can really deal with our enemies. When in fact the only one who can really deal with your enemies is Jesus of Nazareth. Because he has all the power of God. Because he is God. You denied him in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. Remember when Pilate washes his hands. I find no fault in this man. He's innocent. But I'm going to leave it in your hands. But you denied the Holy One. And I want you again, please note that these names that are being used would have struck a chord in the Jewish mindset. They would have known exactly what Peter was saying. You mean this is the Holy One of Israel? You mean this is the promised Messiah? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? The God of our fathers? Has glorified this Jesus? This is the one that the prophet Moses was talking about? There in Deuteronomy 18? Are you kidding me? But you denied the Holy One and the just. He keeps using these names. It's like it was unmistakable what he was saying. And asked for a murderer to be granted to you and killed another name, Prince of Life, the originator of life, the bearer of life. And just in case you think that Scripture doesn't clearly paint Jesus Christ as both God and man and God, the Father different from Jesus the Son, whom God raised from the dead. So he's talking about Jesus being God, and then he goes on to say, and God raised God from the dead, basically. Of which we were all witnesses. <laughs> I love this. Can you imagine what they're thinking in their minds? are like, okay, let's rewind a little bit. Remember you used to be able to do that on VHS tapes? You hit the rewind and like, and it goes back and take like 20 minutes. And if you took your tapes back to the, the video store, like Hollywood videos, and they weren't rewound, they charged you like an extra 10 bucks. Well, they're on rewind right now. They're going zzz, 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 and they're going backwards. And they okay. We'll hit play. Holy one of Israel, were you there when they crucified this guy? Uh huh. Did we actually do? Yeah, we did that. Did we ask for? Yeah, we asked for Barabbas. We killed the Prince of Life. Hmm kind of looks like it. I saw it. These people were confronted with what they saw, not what they heard. Not some kind of story. They were eyewitnesses to the event. They remember that day. It was big news in Jerusalem. They didn't have bowling alleys. No movie premieres. They had a handful of things they could do. And one of them was to watch the public executions of criminals. As morbid as that may sound to you, to them, that's what they did. And so they went and watched. And there was Jesus. And his name. And through faith, just in case you missed it, the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And in his name, and his name alone, has this man been made strong, whom you see and know, and yes, the faith that comes through him is given to him. This is perfect soundness in the presence of you all. Look at this guy, and he is completely whole. Not only did they know that the man was not well for his whole life, but they knew that Jesus had been crucified. Now here comes Peter and he's saying, look, Jesus is Messiah. Remember, it's a Jewish audience. The Spirit just gives Peter this incredible boldness. There's a couple of things we can draw from this particular part of this passage. This boldness, when you look at it, this indictment that he makes... He's convincing them of what they'd actually been a part of. And there's an important part to this. Sometimes, especially in our modern world, we want to try and share the gospel with people without telling them the bad news that they actually need a Savior. We almost well, we don't want to offend anybody, so I don't want to call anybody a sinner. I don't want to let anybody know that they're not okay with God, so I'll skip that part. Peter spends a vast majority of his time saying, look, you guys killed the Lord of glory. Jesus is dead. He was killed because of what you did. You need to let people know that Jesus died for them. They got to know there's a reason they need his forgiveness. And the reason is, we're a mess. Well, I know you don't really need him, but you know, church is a good thing. I've listened to people share that kind of message with people. I'm like, do you really think that that person actually is acknowledging that they're a sinner in need of a Savior? Do you really believe they've come to saving faith? Or did you just offer them like some candy on something that's already they think good? The bad news with us is also the way we come to the good news. And so he tells them, look, (laughs) you guys took Barabbas so that this innocent Jesus could be killed. Peter uses a bunch of names. He's God's son. He's Jesus. He's the Holy One, the Just One, the the Prince or the Pioneer of Life. No ordinary man that they had handed over. And so Peter seizes on that. And, And in that sense, they were guilty of killing their own Messiah. And then we get to the encouragement. And that's the the part that we really want to focus in on. You you see, (laughs) look, the one that you killed, (laughs) he's also the Savior. He's the one that wants to forgive and cleanse and heal. He wants to change and transform. Nobody could deny the miracles that was playing. And so he gives them now the meat of this second sermon, which will take us from verse 17 all the way down to the fourth verse of chapter 4. And yet, now, brethren, I know that you did it in ignorance. Can I tell you a little secret people who don't know Jesus yet generally don't know that they have a problem. That's why it's important that you let them know the other side of the equation. They're actually fairly comfortable living their life just exactly the way it is. And so, Peter gives us another very strong encouragement here. Yet now, brethren, I know that you did it in ignorance, as did your rulers. Now, he's not letting Annas and Caiaphas, those in the Sanhedrin that had falsely accused Jesus, he's not letting them off the hook for their sin. He's simply saying, look, they didn't really know. Well, they had a good idea of what they were doing, but they really didn't know that Jesus Christ was actually the Messiah. They had some idea of what Jesus said about himself, but they hadn't believed on his name yet. The way I like to put this to us today in our time, don't let it surprise you that people who don't know Jesus, don't know Jesus. They don't have any idea what the Bible says. They don't know that they're sinners. They don't know that they need a Savior. And God has immense grace for people in their Ignorance. To let God minister to people who desperately need the Lord in their innocence. But those things which God foretold by the mouth of all of his prophets that Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. You see, they weren't totally ignorant. They just missed the whole message. They got little bits and pieces and parts. They, They surely would have known what the prophet Isaiah said about Messiah. They would have known what Moses had said about Messiah. Well, Jesus has thus fulfilled these things and therefore repent and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come in the presence of the Lord. He says, look, individually you need to deal with God and corporately you need to deal with God. One of the things that we face in our nation today, individually we need to deal with our place before the Lord and then corporately we need to come together and and nationally say, look, we're not going to do this anymore. I believe that many of the things that we face as a nation, we're facing corporately because the church has fallen asleep on the job. We, we haven't carried the banner of the Lord. We've not lifted up the name of Jesus. We've laid down and played dead at a time when the world desperately needs to know that Jesus of Nazareth can still heal, heal people's lives. Be converted that your sins might be blotted out so the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. You see, in the presence of the Lord is the fullness of joy. If we as a people want refreshing, then we need to turn our lives the right direction towards the Lord, not away from the Lord. One of the things that bugs me so much about where the church is in our country today, we have turned away from the Lord and we expect the Lord to bless us anyway. The Lord blesses those who bless him. The Lord gives good things to His obedient children. He chastens those whom He loves who are not walking with Him. It's not hard to understand. And so some of the things that we face, we face because we've chosen to ignore what God has said. And so Peter, seizing on this moment, says, Look, if you want times of refreshing that come from the presence of the Lord, then repent, turn from your sin. That He may send Jesus Christ who has preached to you before. Whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things. And so he's actually pointing to a time that is yet future as far as national Israel is concerned. Spoken up there in Romans 11 that we'll get to on Thursday nights. There will be a national time when all Israel will be saved. He's saying that time is going to come. But if you individually would like to have that right now, then you need to get right with the Lord. Never miss... The individual responsibility for everyone to receive Jesus Christ as their own personal Lord and Savior. Which God has spoken by the mouth of all of his holy prophets since the world began. As I've shared with you many times, when you look at the Old Testament, the monumental evidence contained in the Old Testament is sufficient for you to get a picture of Jesus Messiah. It's not hard. You can read it, look at it, see what it says, and understand, wow, That's the Lord Jesus. So convincing, so compelling was that evidence that that many from the Old Testament, because we know them, they're there in Hebrews 11, actually were able to believe in Messiah and waited for the Lord Jesus to finish the plan of salvation and they received the same thing that you're going to receive, the entrance into the kingdom, the presence, the glory of the Lord. For Moses truly said to the fathers, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren, and him shall hear in all things whatever he says to you. And it shall be that every soul who will not hear that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. You see, there's a life and death choice that everyone must make. And now that Christ has been revealed, there's two roads. There's a narrow one, there's a broad one, and you must choose the narrow one. That way that is not easy, the way that is constraining, that leads unto life and godliness. And it shall be that every soul who will not hear will be utterly destroyed. And yes, and all the prophets from Samuel to those who follow, as many as have spoken, have also foretold of these days. When you look back at the Old Testament, David was speaking of Jesus when he penned the 16th psalm, the 22nd psalm. He wasn't speaking of himself. David's dead, buried. We can go to his tomb. Not let my soul stay in Sheol. Speaking of Messiah. Telling of that one who would be a prophet like Moses and yet greater than Moses. For you are sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers. Saying to Abraham, in your seed all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. And people, you know, they, they, they haggle over this. And it's so easy to see. How through the Jewish people of all the families of the earth been Blessed. His name is Jesus. The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, was born a Hebrew. He was born Jewish. Of the seed of Abraham and Isaac, Jacob, the tribe of Judah, the kingly line of David. So accurate, so perfect is that plan that God laid it out centuries, more than a thousand years before Jesus set foot on this earth. The Jewish people had a very keen understanding of what Messiah would do. In your seed, the families of the earth would be blessed. And to you first, God having raised up his servant Jesus sent him to bless you. Can you imagine the, the look on Judas's face? Jesus looked at him, Judas, are you really going to betray the Son of Man with a kiss? God made the plan of salvation very concise. And Peter, seizing on that plan in a Jewish audience to tell them, what do you think? And turning away every one of you to your iniquities, which is exactly, by the way, what the prophet Isaiah said would have happen. And everyone turned away. And the Lord laid upon him the iniquities of us all. And now as he spoke to the people and the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, and being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus, the resurrection from the dead. You see, the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. So they're just making everybody mad now. They're grabbing almost everybody that's in listening distance, and they're they're twisting their ear. And he laid hands on them and put them into custody until the next day, for it was already evening. So you can imagine, this whole message went on for hours, Three o'clock in the afternoon until evening. So they're near sunset. But Peter's been just going at it. Well, here's the truth, guys. Listen up. However, many of them, those who heard the word, believed. They heard the name. And the number of men came to be about 5,000. So another 2,000 are added. 3,000 the first time. 2,000 the second time. Five thousand plus ladies, just in in two very short messages, has now resulted in in probably ten thousand or more people coming to faith in Christ. Because you know what's happened in the homes. If the wives aren't there, which they, they were in the court of the Gentiles, the court of the women, so everybody's hearing the message, and they get saved. And so Peter seizes on that moment. And at the end of the day, family of God, all of us have killed Jesus. Every last one of us would have been in the same crowd. We would have all been crying out for Barabbas. We would have all said, we don't want this man to rule over us. Don't blame the Jewish people for Jesus' death. You killed him. You put Jesus on the cross. I put Jesus on the cross. I was lame at the gate beautiful. I couldn't take care of myself. I needed somebody to take care of me. I could not raise myself up. Somebody needed to raise me up. Remember what Peter said. They did it in ignorance. A lot of us are ignorant. I praise God for His grace. Amen? I'm going to bring the worship team back up. When you think on this, a couple of things that you can take away and take with you. Number one, we all have opportunity to tell people about Jesus of Nazareth. Because every last one of us comes in contact with people who are lame, who are needy, who don't know the truth, who are still walking in a lie, and who desperately need a Savior. Don't miss those opportunities. Take those opportunities as a divine gift from God for you to be used in the most glorious thing you will ever be used for. Now I want you to think about this for a second. There is nothing that is more valuable on this earth than you sharing Jesus with people because it's the only thing that you can give them that can change their eternity. You can take care of all kinds of needs, and we should. You can feed the poor, which we should. We can go on missions, which we should. We can do all kinds of things, but the most important thing that you can do is to tell them about the power of the name of Jesus. Because that can actually change their eternity. Don't miss that. When you see the end of this chapter, you're going to see really a ton of things. But look, God is long-suffering, amen? He suffered long with me. If you're going to be truthful to the witness that we should have of the Lord, you need to tell people the bad news as well as the good news. You need to make sure that they understand that there's two sides to that equation. The way that we reach the masses just as Pastor Greg was saying this morning. We want to reach people one at a time. Your personal witness matters to the kingdom. Your personal sharing matters to the kingdom. Notice what was used in this story. It was one person's changed life. Your changed life matters. Notice what happened at the end of this passage. God's doing a great work. Satan comes against it. These guys are these guys are going to be in trouble. They're, they're going to get arrested, in essence. Satan's going to come against it. Don't don't underestimate the enemy's hatred for the plan of salvation. God's promised to use His word. Notice how Peter use the word of God to tell the simple story of salvation and finally the name of Jesus still has power to save amen would you stand we have some pastors come forward and I want to remind you that if you're here Jesus is the only name whereby men may be saved And without him, no one sees heaven. And maybe you're here tonight and you thought, "Eh, I'm going to go to heaven because I'm good. Or maybe you thought, I'm going to go to heaven because I've been a church member. Or I'm going to go to heaven because my parents told me I was going to go to heaven. The only way that you're going to heaven is because you have confessed that Jesus Christ is both your Savior and your Lord. And you repent of your sin. You say, Lord, I'm going to change direction." And that change of direction is because you've had a change of heart and a change of mind. Not that you got caught. That was the message that Peter preached. So if that's you tonight, come and pray and invite Jesus Christ into your life. Before you leave, don't go home and say, I'll think on it later because you are not guaranteed tomorrow. Tonight's the night. For the rest of us, Pray for boldness. Our world needs the truth. We're going to worship, going to sing a couple of songs, spend some time in prayer, and then I'm going to dismiss in a couple of minutes. You got something that's heavy on your heart? Ah, He's our burden bearer, amen? He's the one that offers that yoke that is easy, that burden that's light. Let him have it. He's not asked you to carry something that's too heavy for you. Give him your burdens. Lay them down. Father, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. For the simplicity of the gospel, for the goodness that's been bestowed upon us, Lord. Oh God, thank you that I was that I was that cripple. And the gate that I was at wasn't even beautiful, Lord and you saw my need and you offered your hand and you lifted me up out of the miry clay and you set my feet upon a rock. Lord, please do that for all that are here tonight. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here or that doesn't know you and recognize their desperate need just as this man recognized his desperate need, Lord, pray that they would do that. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth Would you bless us now with your presence in our time of prayer. As we close in song, God, would you speak to us as your people? Bring salvation to the lost, encouragement to the weak. Lift up feeble hands, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name.